0: Let me encourage you to grab a copy of God's Word or turn God's Word on, whatever you're using today, to Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13. If you're using one of the Bibles that we provide, that's on page 921, page 921, Acts 13. Well, this Sunday, um, I'm not sure how many good jokes uh, that I've got for you. Um, that was Zoe there, my daughter, I, I don't know, I don't think of myself as a, as a jokester, but that's, that what she sees. But Chuck E. Cheese, you know, that's, that is an easy way to get to a, a kid's heart. Chuck E. Cheese and pizza and games and, um, but here, here's what we're doing today. We're going to continue the series that we've been, um, going through the book of Acts, but we're going to shift our focus a little bit. The past few weeks, we've been talking about how the, how the gospel and the spirits work in us overflows and our neighborhoods. Now we're going to continue preaching through Acts, but we want to change that. We're just going to narrow that focus a little bit more to think about going from our neighborhoods to thinking about the gospel advancing in cities. Particularly for us, it's this prayer in Boston as in heaven. Praying, playing off of the Lord's Prayer where he says, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in Boston as, is, as it is in heaven. And so as we see the gospel and the church grow and acts, we want to think about what are the implications for us at Redemption here as a local church seeing the gospel move forth in our city. Now, just because we're moving away from this focus on neighborhoods, don't give up. I have been super wicked encouraged by you guys in fact last sunday after the service i had somebody come up to me and say hey i gotta confess i was ashamed that i lived in this place for x amount of years and still never knew my neighbors but i've overcome that barrier last week it was a little awkward but i just said hey what's your name and, and I've got their names now. Now, they didn't reply back and ask me what my name was. But, um, the, but hey, that's a win. I love it. That, that's level one, going to actually learning who are your neighbors, what are their names. I pray that this summer, we're gonna hear more of those stories of meeting neighbors. Hey, will you do this for me? Will you pray for me? I have a brand new neighbor. I, I was the new family in the neighborhood because I moved there two and a half years ago. But now I'm the one who has a neighbor moving in beside me. Her name is Emily. She's in her 20s. She's, she's doing renovate work right now in the house just to my right. Would you pray that God would help my family as we love and serve her, get to know her, and for, to move from level one to level two to level three to, to be able to share the gospel with her? And hey, please ask me about it. Ask me about Emily. Well, uh, let me introduce a tension here for you. Just dream with me for a second. What happens? As the gospel goes forward in greater Boston, and many of your neighbors start coming to faith in Jesus, can I get an amen? Hey, we're, we're not just like trying to meet our neighbors just to, to fill up our cards, who is your neighbor card. We actually want to see God move and save and somebody to step over from death to eternal life. And we're praying that God is using you guys, he's using me to see our neighbors come to faith in Christ. What if this is happening on a weekly scale? You, you probably aren't gonna be surprised by this, but as the pastors, as we dream, we wanna, see, we, want, we wanna see God do a work that we can't contain and we can't explain. Think of the responsibility and the opportunity for us as a church. Not just neighbors in Medford, Cambridge, Somerville, Everett, Malden, Stoneham, Woburn, Winchester. You keep going on. In a lot of these cities, we've got gospel preaching churches. In some, there's very few. And so as we see God work in our city, there's gonna be a great need for us to send out laborers To gather churches, to equip and raise up its own leaders, and to see those individual cities reached with the gospel. One of the reasons at the very beginning God led Tanner and I here was, we've shared a little bit over the past few weeks about the nations that have gathered here, about the diversity here, about the influence But another one was, we wanted to be a multiplying church. It wasn't just to plant one church. is we wanted to be a church that can have an impact, not just in Medford, but across greater Boston. And that is still our dream and our prayer. And we believe it's the heart of God, which is why it's our heart. Now, as we think about the opportunities of the gospel spreading in greater Boston, let's look at the text here. Because what I want us to wrestle with today, as we look at the church begin to spread out of Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, what are the implications as we look at the church in Acts, the implications it has on us at Redemption Hill and how we live and engage in this mission? So let me show you where we left off. Last week, we left off in chapter 11. In chapter 11, beginning in verse 15, we see this story of of God and the Spirit working in Cornelius and leading this sovereign, divine interaction with Peter, Peter sharing the gospel with him, and and this whole household that Cornelius had invited comes to faith in Jesus. Peter describes it here in chapter 11, verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, When we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, this is Peter talking to the church in Jerusalem. It says, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. The pathway's been paved now for the gospel to spread to the ends of the earth. Now we go to chapter 11, verse 19. Read here with me, and it says this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. Let me hit pause. That that section, that narrative with Peter and Cornelius comes to an end, and Luke takes us back to chapter 8, right after Stephen had been killed and persecution caused the church to scatter. Now where did the church scatter? He tells us right here. They traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Now I think I've got a map up here for you here to show us to get our bearings on where the gospel is spread. You can see it at the very bottom in Palestine, down here is Jerusalem, Damascus, that's where we saw Saul come to faith in Jesus. Now we're all the way up in Antioch believers had spread there in light of the persecution. This news came back to Jerusalem in the early church, and you know what they do? They send Barnabas. Hey, Barnabas, we're sending you to Antioch. So chapter 11, the rest of it describes Barnabas going to Antioch. He gets there, spends some time with them, and says, you know what, hey, Paul's in Tarsus, you see, to the, to the left of Antioch. I'm going to go get Saul, and I'm going to bring him with me. And Luke 11, Acts 11 says they spent over a year in Antioch, teaching them, proclaiming the gospel, and the church growing and being built up. Now, while while Barnabas and Saul were at Antioch, there's a prophet, Agabus, that it tells us about. He comes and he prophesies a great famine that's going to come. And so the church decides, here's what we're going to do. A great famine's coming. We're going to gather a collection to send to the brothers in Judea. And they say, Barnabas and Saul, you're going to be the ones that are going to take it there. So Barnabas and Saul go on this sin relief to gather um, financial resources with the famine coming to go deliver it to the churches in Judea. Now the scene changes from Antioch to Jerusalem. We go back to Jerusalem here in, in Acts chapter 12. Look at verse 1. It says, About that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James the brother of John with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Wow. This persecution in Jerusalem's continuing. It's that same persecution that it calls the disciples to scatter, but it's continuing. Herod's killed James, and he's now thrown Peter in prison, probably with the same plan to do to him. You know what the church does? What do they do? They pray. Verse five. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. You know what God does? The text doesn't make this explicit, but man, God hears their prayer. He sends an angel, an angel of the Lord, directs Peter out of prison. And when he gets out, he goes to the disciples. You know what they're doing? They're still praying. Verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. They didn't believe it was him, in shock. So God rescues Peter, and then we fast forward. Herod was infuriated at this point. He has the the sentries who were supposed to be guarding the prison killed. And now we pick up here in verse 20. It says, Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded blastus the king's chamberlain they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food on an appointed day herod put on his royal robes took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them and the people were shouting the voice of god and not a man and immediately an angel of the lord struck him down because he did not give god the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last And then this sets the context for us with our passage today in chapter 13. Look at verse 24 of chapter 12. It says, But the word of God increased and multiplied. This is a consistent theme throughout Acts. God is sovereign, and He is powerful, and His mission will not fail. Even over persecution. And so verse 25 takes us back to Barnabas and Saul. And it says this, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other's name was Mark. And this brings us to chapter 13. We're going to look at these three verses the rest of our time and camp out here. In chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, God's word says this, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. I want us to pause and pray as we prepare our hearts to just receive God's Word and respond to it today. Father, we see over and over this early church praying. They really believed, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. God, we need you right now. God, we would ask that as your spirit spoke clearly to this church in Antioch. God, we we want your spirit to illumine our minds, to hear, to understand your word. God, would you, would you impact our hearts, our affections, and God, would you move us to respond in obedience as you, as you speak to us, as you lead us, as you guide us as a church. God, we need your grace to hear and respond rightly to your word today. So God, we ask that in the powerful name of Christ. Amen. What's going on here in the text? Let me unpack a few things for you before I jump into my main point here. First, just going back to verse 1, it says, now there were in the church at Antioch. Just plain and simple, that's the context here where we're at. We're at the church at Antioch. I've shown you the map on the page there, the believers there were gathered. And it says, this is the same church where Saul and Barnabas had spent over a year. That's what chapter 11 was about. So, I mean, they they had spent some time with this church. They were familiar with the people and with the disciples there. And it says, in this church were prophets and teachers. God had gifted those in the church to teach his word, to, to lead and guide his people, and that it describes, it tells us who these prophets and teachers were, and it gives us five names. We know Barnabas, and we know Saul. So here's one, I, I want to focus on the other three guys, just briefly. It says there was a guy named Simeon who was called Niger. If you got the ESV, there's a little footnote there beside it, and you look at the bottom, and it says this, Niger is a Latin word meaning black or dark. Most, most commentators believe that Niger was from northern Africa and so would not have been from Antioch. You see diversity here, okay? Second, we see Lucius of Cyrene. He was also most likely from northern Africa because Cy- Cyrene was a Roman province in Libya on the northern coast of Af- Africa. And then you have Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod. This Herod was the Herod um, that reigned during Jesus' ministry from 4 B.C. to A.D. 39. Because of that, he would have been a very prominent and had a, had a high social standing. These are the guys, and here's the deal. It doesn't tell us a lot about these guys. It doesn't tell us which ones were prophets, which ones were teachers, if there was an overlap in the mix of the giftings there. Here's the point, which Bach, one commentator notes, he says, God was gifting the church without ethnic distinctions, So not only do we see the gospel now spreading and paving its way to go to the Gentiles, the Spirit, as we saw in Cornelius, has fallen upon them, and God is gifting them in the same way he's gifted the church in Jerusalem. The next question I just want us to wrestle through, it mentions the church, it mentions these five, But when we go to verse 2, who is the they that it's referring to? It says, while they were worshiping. And then going on down in verse 3, it says, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. I guess it's possible that the they refers to these five men, but most commentators think that this was referring to the whole church here. And I'll give you two reasons why. The first reason, if you go back to Acts 6, when the church is called to set apart seven and choose among them to serve, who was it that decided who those six would be? It was the church. The whole church gathered there. And then if you look forward, go to chapter 14 with me real quick. In chapter 14, at the very end of this first missionary journey, Barnabas and Saul come back and report to the church in verse 25 of chapter 14. It says, And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Talia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how God had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Who does he gather at the end there? it's the whole church he doesn't just gather these five i think he's gathering the whole church they were the it was the church that sent them off it was the church he gathered together to report now why is that significant here it's significant because what's happening here in acts 13 is barnabas and saul being commissioned on this missionary journey to see the gospel begin to spread to the ends of the earth. And they're being sent by the church. Who is it that's gathering, worshiping the Lord, and fasting? It's the church, it's the people of God. They're there, the, the Spirit's working through the church, and then they're sending them off. And so, here, as we wrestle with this, like, what are the implications for us? And at Redemption we're here to think about engaging in God's mission. Here's the main point that I want you to get today. And then I'm going to unpack it in the rest of our time, and it's this. A worshiping and Spirit-filled church discerns the Spirit's call and sends out laborers for God's mission. I'll repeat that again. A worshiping and Spirit-filled church discerns the Spirit's call, and sends out laborers for God's mission. What I'm going to do is just unpack that in the rest of our time in three significant truths. And the, and the first one is this. Worship will fuel you for God's mission. Worship will fuel you for God's mission. Look, one of the, one of the truths that's, that's, that no, nobody can deny as we've been going through Acts, who's been moving this mission forward? It's God. Go all the way back to Saul's conversion. God, God's working in Saul and he tells him, go here. You go look at Cornelius. Hey, Cornelius, go here. Hey, Peter, go here. God is sovereignly, we could go all the way back to seeing the Spirit at work in Philip, in the Ethiopian eunuch. what What does the Spirit say to Philip? Go to that chariot. God is moving this mission forward, but what we also see here, guys, and don't miss this, we see a church engaged in devotion, ready to respond. God's leading. Are we a church ready to respond to God's leading? Guys, this mission is not over. That's why Jesus hasn't come back, and we're still here. There's a job to do. There's a work to do. There's a mission for us. It is not finished. My prayer is, is that as they're describing what the church at Antioch's doing, they're worshiping God, they're fasting, they're seeking Him, that we would be a church that is seeking after the God, ready to respond at the initiative and movement of God in this city. Do you know why it's important that we gather like we do today? To hear God's Word, to pray God's Word, to sing God's word, to read God's word, to respond to God's word. We are feeding our souls with the greatness and glory of God, and that is gonna fuel mission. We are reminding each other, Jesus is the cornerstone. We are made strong through his love. We just saying, where sin runs, what? Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. God's grace is unchanging. Jesus, you're my one defense, my righteousness. I need to hear that today. If as a church, we are seeking after God in personal and corporate worship, our lives will be fueled to overflow and engage in God's mission. You know why? Because as you hear about the greatness and glory of God and you're finding joy and delight and satisfaction in him, you know what you're going to want to do? You're going to want to go to that neighbor and invite them to experience the joy and satisfaction that you can have in Jesus Christ. It's fueling that. And so as I think of missions, back in as I was preparing for ministry, a book by John Piper called Let the Nations Be Glad. Man, it's been very impactful as we think about missions. He talks about this in there, and he says this. I've got us on the screen there for us to reflect. He says, worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. That's the goal. We're going to the nations. We're going to your neighbor. We're going to Cambridge and Everett and Malden. And we're saying, Worship! This is what you were made for. But it's also the fuel. He continues but it's also the fuel of missions. Passion for God and worship precedes the offer of God in preaching. You can't commend what you don't cherish. Missionaries will never call out, let the nations be glad, who cannot say from the heart, I rejoice in the Lord. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Missions begins and ends in worship. Now let me press in here. Can I press in here for a second? I didn't hear an amen. Can I press in here for a second? Okay, all right. Let's praise the Spirit. I'm just, I'm gonna be a vessel here. In the Gospels, Jesus tells a parable about the sower. And he gives four different kinds of soils, right? The sower, you're sowing the seed. The seed is the word of God. What's the first soil? It falls along the path. And that seed doesn't survive, why? Satan. Comes in and snatches it. The other soil is the rocky ground. Does that one survive? It doesn't survive. That that seed isn't able to, to get depth. And so it says when persecution and trials come, it dies. The third soil is the one among the thorns and the thistles. John Piper continuing in Let the Nations Be Glad, he says, We are a century. We are a third soil century. You know what it says about that third soil? Why doesn't it survive? The thorns and the thistles choke it out. You know what the thorns and the thistles are? The deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things. And he says this, we're too busy chasing after the other things that we miss the mission of God. So let me ask you this, what are the thorns and thistles in your life that are hindering your worship and not fueling your worship? And if we don't address those, we won't be a church that is overflowing and ready to respond to God's move. You guys hear me with that? So what's threatening to steal your worship? Where are you being deceived and chasing temporal things that are just going to burn in the end? What other things are distracting you? What's stealing your enjoyment of God? That's the first one, guys. We've got to be a church that is fueled through worship. Second, a Spirit-filled church discerns the Spirit's call. I'll be honest with you. The text here is really clear about some things and very vague about others. What's clear? Let me address that. That's the easy part, the clear things. It's clear that the Holy Spirit spoke. It says this in verse 2, while they were worshiping, the Holy Spirit said, and we have what the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. We know, it, there was no confusion there. It's not like, all right, we got five here in the whole church. Who is it? It was pretty clear. Barnabas and Saul, you're to set them apart. But what's not clear is a few other things that I just want to walk through one by one. First of all, let me just ask you this. How did they discern the Spirit's prompting? Does it tell us? It just says the Holy Spirit said. Was was it an audible? Like, is there there? Like, audibly, everybody heard the Spirit? Was it it an internal, like, the Spirit in their hearts that he's given, like, a unity and a clarity and a peace that, man, it's Barnabas and Saul? It's possible that the way the Spirit is working, what does it tell us that they were in the church? They were what? Prophets and teachers. It's possible that the Spirit mediated this through one of the prophets or teachers who shares that with the church. But the reality is, is, is we're not, we've got options here. We're not told explicitly how it happens. The, the other thing that's unclear is what exactly are Barnabas and Saul to do? I mean, what's clear, set them apart. And there's some kind of work to, to that which I've called them for. But it's actually pretty vague. John Stott in his commentary on this, he says this is very similar to the call to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. Anybody remember the call there? Abram, go. And what's he say? And I will... Show you the land that you are to go. What was the main point? Abram, you go. As you go, I'm gonna show you. And so Stock concludes: sometimes God calls, God's call requires an adventurous step of faith. Can I be honest with you? This is this is pretty similar to how I ended up in Boston. Um I sensed in college a general call that, that I'm supposed to leverage my life for the sake of the gospel in, in some tangible way. God had gifted me, and, and, and using the church, the leaders got it put around me, affirming that, and so I step out in faith. I did not know as a 22-year-old college student that I was going to end up in Boston. But I did sense this work of the Spirit and those other leaders in the church around me affirming that. And so as I step out to get equipped, I head to seminary at Southeastern and also as a part of a local church. And and I begin to hear about church planting and the great need of of gospel-centered work outside of the Bible Belt and major cities, particularly in the Northeast. And God is at work in me. I couldn't, get, I couldn't shake that. I still did not know until June 2009. My wife and I are working with a, a church in North Carolina, and we had led a, a mission trip to Worcester. We've actually got a serve team with us today from Cave Spring, Virginia. So grateful for you guys being with us. Let's give, let's give it up for them. We wouldn't be where we are as a church right now without churches like Cave Spring, and I've also got one of the pastors of another one of our churches, Jason Finley, Cross Point Clemson. We wouldn't be where we are without. Let's give it up for Cross Point Clemson. <laughs> Jason's here with his family. It's you guys, like being a part of this. But I was on a trip, kind of like what you guys are, and it was in a June, walking through Boston Common, that God said, "Boston." Now, when I say God said that, I did not hear an audible voice. You can go, my wife and I, it, it was a, a sense of direction from the Lord that it wasn't just me, it was her as well. It led me to the point that I couldn't sleep that night until I, I shot an email to this guy, Tanner Turley, saying, I can't, God has done, I've got to find a way to get to Boston. I don't know how I'm going to get here. I, I didn't know anybody else, but I knew Boston. This church is a result of the Spirit working in Tanner, myself, and others to move to Boston. Now, I'm not saying that in a pride, like, hear me. I'm just using that as an example. We're part of a, of a church planning network. One is called the Pillar Network that has churches all across North America. Our, our local In a local way, we have pillar churches here, but we're also part of something called Sin Boston underneath the North American Mission Board. In 2005, you know how many Sin Boston church plants there were in Boston? Two. Hope Fellowship in Cambridge and Grace Church in Avon. Our our Sin City missionary, David Butler, shot me this information this past week. Right now, do you know how many there are? 72 2000 yes 2005 to 2018 13 years we've gone from two churches to 72 but we're not stopping do you know what the dream is by 2030 300 churches guys we going from 2 to 72 hasn't even put a dent into to the, the many opportunities for gospel work in this city. So we've got to go from 72 to 300. How's that going to happen? The Holy Spirit of God is going to be working through churches like us to say, that person, go. Churches like Redemption Hill Church. That's why this text is significant. Because this same Spirit that spoke And sent is this same spirit that's working today, calling, leading, and sending to see the mission of God fulfilled. Now, let me ask you this question Who sent Saul and Barnabas? The church of the Holy Spirit. Look here. It's the Holy Spirit in verse 2 that says, set apart for me. But in verse 3, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Who sent them in verse 3? The church. Go to verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, who sent them out? It's a trick question, right? The Spirit sent them out. He did it through the local church. Now that has some implications for us that I want you to wrestle with. We can't just be passive as a church as if the Spirit, and we're just gonna, we're gonna sit back and the Spirit, you see here, like God's doing His thing and He's working, but you also have a church devoted, pursuing God, ready to move and affirm what the Spirit's doing. And so I would say this, as a church, we must be seeking God's face to hear and discern who among us the Spirit is setting apart to be sent out for a special, special purpose. It's our responsibility to discover gifting and calling, to identify, to assess, to equip, and to send. You guys ready for that? That's us. Spirit's working. He's going to do it through you and I. Now, what about this? What are the implications for you as an individual? Can the Spirit speak directly to you? I believe he can. But let me encourage you and warn you against individualism. Too often, our temptation is to announce what the Spirit's leading versus bringing the church and community in and saying, can you affirm what the Spirit is doing in my life. I believe God has set up the local church in such a way that when you, have, you sense an internal call, that it can be very powerful to have that affirmed and give confidence in an external call through your local church. So the local church is asking questions like this. Does their sense of calling align with God's mission? Does their sense of calling seem to be in align with that person's gifting and abilities? So worship's gonna fuel us. The spirit, as we're filled with the spirit and we're seeking God, we're gonna be able to discern who among us God is saying set apart. And then finally, We must send laborers for God's mission to be fulfilled. Hey, let me, hey, put yourself in the shoes of Antioch. Hey, do you think they're going to miss Barnabas and Saul? Let me ask you this. What if God, what if the Spirit of God says, your best leader, send them? Tanner, I'm not trying to get rid of you. We're just, I mean, this is Paul. Like, surely, I mean, he had spent time with them. Surely they had seen the gifting and abilities of Paul. God, are you sure you, like, we want to keep Paul? We'll send, like, you know, the ninth batter. You know, we'll, we'll send, maybe, you know, we got to keep him. Tim Keller and his massive work called Center Church. He's talking about man, I, he, he shaped and helped us think about life and ministry. Near the end of his book, he talks about churches and a movement dynamics. And when he talks about movement dynamics, he's looking, he looks at the book of Acts and he's saying, "Hey, what I see in Acts, the, it ought to be the mindset of a church you're just church planting. It's not like an event, you do it and you're like, "We survived and we're done." But like you're living, breathing, thinking, we're not just establishing the thing, we're looking to multiply churches and see them scatter. Looking at the book of Acts, but he says this. There've got to be three main shifts that have to happen if that's going to be the case. Number 1. You must be willing to give away resources and lose control of your money, members, and leaders. Yes. As I preach this text, I'm looking in the mirror and I'm calling you guys. If we're going to say, God, we want to see your mission fulfilled and do it through Redemption Hill Church, we hold everything open-handed. Leaders, members, and money. God, they're yours. They're not mine. You do with it to accomplish your kingdom purposes. Second, you must be willing to give up some control of the shape of the ministry itself. And then third, you must be willing to care for the kingdom even more than your own tribe. Hey, a word from your pastors. This is what we want. We're not trying to build a Redemption Hill Church kingdom It is God's kingdom. If he wants to use Redemption Hill, we want to be like the church at Antioch, devoted and ready in saying, God, use us to see this mission propelled and move forward. They sense the Spirit's work. They affirm that. They lay hands on them as a visible picture to to signify the Spirit's work in them and commissioning and sending them off. Look, prayer is wrapped all around this. It starts with worship and fasting. The Spirit speaks in what they do. Hey, we got to fast and pray some more, and then we're going to send them out. And you know what happens? Look at the map here. They send them out, and this is Paul's first missionary journey, 895 miles. One commentator says they probably were traveling 15 miles a day by feet. And we see the gospel spread from Antioch all the way over to the regions of Galatia and Lycia and you see it there. We already read earlier at the end of chapter 14, he comes back. He goes all the way outbound and then he comes back. And he's going through each of these churches and he establishes elders in these churches. So it's not just believers. He's not just doing evangelism. It's churches that are being started. They're having leaders being appointed, and then he's strengthening them. And then he comes back to Antioch, and he reports all that God had done among them. As we wrap up today, here's what I wanted to do. I want to invite the band to come on up. Dan, you and your team, come on up also want to invite some others. I've invited some people to come down front and, and to be ready to pray with people. So if that's you, I want you to come on down. Here's where I, I feel God leading today, guys. We read in Antioch about a church worshiping, fasting, and praying. How can we read a text like this and not just pause and say, God, what are you doing in me individually, and in us as a church. And so I'm going to slide down front. Tanner's going to be here, seeing Felicia down here. Here's, here's what I want you to think about as the band leads us. Maybe it's to come down and pray with somebody because there's some worship idolatry. That you've been confronted with today and you're like, you know what, I need prayer. I need to share this with somebody because my fuel right now is being destroyed because of idols in my life. I'm distracted by X, Y, and Z and and missions nowhere even on my radar. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's for you. It's just, man, I, I need to worship. I need my worship fueled. Maybe for you, it's saying, you know what, I'm sensing the Spirit may be doing a work in me and wanting to set me apart for some type of ministry, and I just want prayer. I want to share that with somebody. Maybe it's just a general prayer. You want to see churches planted and spread. You want to pray in Boston as it is in heaven, and you just want to, maybe it's not even pray with somebody. You just want to come down, and you just want to pray for a movement of God in this city. We're just going to have a time of prayer here for, for you to lead, for you to pray, for you to respond, and then the band's going to lead us in prayer as we wrap up. So let me pray for us and then let's move into this time. Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we receiving the gospel are the fruits of the church at Antioch, sending Paul out to the ends of the earth and we know that gospel is spread even to us. God, thank you. And God, we just cry out. God, we want to we want to have our worship fueled and driving us to mission and our neighbors in this city. God, we pray, would you set apart? God, would you raise up? We're grateful that you sent guys like Tanner and I from the south, but God, we need locals. We need more locals who who know neighbors and know people to say, you know what, I'm going to go plant a church. I'm going to go start a small group in this city. God, would you set apart? Would you raise? God, would you show us as a church Where is the next city? What's the next step for us to see your mission continue to move forward here in greater Boston? God, we pray that in Christ's name, amen.